Welcome back to Epilogues, an unpacking of the weekly Haftarah. You're listening to Rabbi Yaakov Tramp. This week we're going to be looking at the Haftarah of Parshas Matos, but actually it serves as the Haftarah of the first of the three weeks, and therefore sometimes will be applicable to Parshas Pinchas, depending on how the three weeks fall out. These are what's called the Gimel de Puranusa, the three Haftarahs that lead to the ultimate punishment, the destruction of the Beis Amikdash. In them, we're going to look at the first uh, of these prophecies is the pro- first prophecy of Yirmiyahu Navi. The second of the weeks is the second prophecy of Yirmiyahu Navi, And the third week is the, pro- the beginning, the first prophecy of Yeshayahu Navi. So we'll take a look at each of these in sequence. For this week, the Haftarah of Matos, we are going to take a look at the introduction to Yirmiyahu. This takes us through Perak Aleph, um, the entire Perak to the second Perak, three Psokim in. Let's unpack it slowly, piece by piece. We're going to be introduced to Yirmiyahu, hear about his rejection of his role, hear about his two prophecies, his first two images, and then finally come full circle with the last message to the nation of Israel. Let's start at the very beginning. We're told that Yirmiyahu is the son of Chilkiyahu, and he was from the Kohanim Asher Ba'anasois. He was from the priests who lived in the area of Anasois in the land of Binyamin. We told, we're told that Yirmiyahu is a prophet during the times of Yoshiyahu, the king, and also during the years uh, all the way till Yoyakim, the son of Yoshiyahu, till the time of Tzidkiyahu, the brother of Yoyakim, the other son of Tzidkiyahu, um, until the Galois Yerushalayim, the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month, the month of Av. That means to say that Yirmiyahu essentially witnesses the prosperous times, the successful spiritual times under Yoshiyahu and witnesses the demise under Yoyakim and Zedekiah, until ultimate destruction, there are another two or three short-lived kings in between. There's El Yoakim, um, who is another one of the brothers, and there is Yochania, the son of Yoyakim, um, who also serve, but they serve for very short periods of three months each, and therefore they are not included in this description. Before going further, just a quick question is, where is Anasais today? So if you go down south, it is in towards the area of Be'er Sheva, which is where Anasais, Anatot, is. Um, why are we being told about his lineage and where he comes from? So the first is, is that the Malbim explains that his father was the Kohen Gadol. Chilkiah was one of the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol. And he comes from this provincial town, Anasois, which means to say, if you remember, that the Kohanim and the Levim did not have their own territory. They lived in and amongst the nation of Israel. And so he was not beholden to people. He wouldn't live in the metropolis where he knew the politics of the times and who to please and who not to please. He lived in a small little village of Kohanim down south, and therefore he spoke the truth. He wasn't he wasn't um, was not swayed by the exigencies of the time. Rashi also quotes Chazal that he was originally a descendant of Rachav Hazana, and the way that the the Chazal put it is that say bar mekalkalasa. Let the one who is the one of crooked actions who fix them up come to, to give rebuke to the generation who uh, um, may come from good stock but whose actions are corrupt. So this is the introduction to Yirmiyahu Hanavi. We now hear about his, his initiation. So in Psukim Dalad 2, um, to Yud, we hear about how Hashem tells Yirmiyahu that you are going to be a prophet, Naviba um, Goyim, that you're going to be a nation, a prophet among or to the nations I've given you. It seems very much more universal than just Israel. And Yirmiyahu rejects this. He says, Aha Hashem Elohim, Hine Loyodati Daber Kinar Anochi, I don't know how to speak. 
I'm yet a lad. There's a lot of discussion if you read the introduction of the Malbim and the Radak to Sefer Yirmiyahu. There's a discussion, a discussion about how old he was and how that affected his language, in fact. The language of, um, of Yirmiyahu is much more simple. And there are many, um, many linguistic errors, in fact, in the way that he speaks. The Radak says this is a function of him being a lad. He was very young when he started. Whereas the Malbim says, no, that was part of the way that the Nevoah was given to him. Fascinating discussion for, uh, which reflects on this topic. Um, Hashem, uh, Hashem rejects his rejection and tells him that I'm going to put something in your mouth and you're going to speak to the nations. And what's his, 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 uh, his purpose is lintosh v'lintoitz. A lot of it's to destroy it, to uproot. But part of that uprooting is to build and to grow. In other words, there needs to be not a fixing, a patching over of some issues in Israel, but actually an uprooting of what's going on in order to fix it up. And that's what his job is going to be. Um, notice, by the way, that Akash Baruch Hu says that I have made you um, a special person from when? Um, I've known you, I've chosen you from in the womb. That's how far back it goes. It sounds like his kahuna, like his priesthood, which is something he's born into. His prophecy is also something like that. That doesn't, that's not always the way it usually works. The way it regularly works is that a prophet is somebody who merits that, who works to become a prophet, and then ultimately gets prophecy. When it comes to Yirmiyahu, it's almost like his predetermined mission, because he is supposed to be this Navi Lagoyim, this prophet to the nations, including Israel as well. Um, and so the, this is what the, the Radak and the Ramam struggle with is, is in this case, is that there seems to be a lack of, pre, of preparation. So instead of that, we hear about how Hashem puts something in his mouth, um, gives him the words to say. It sounds very similar to Yeshayahu Novim Pergvov, where Yeshayahu also is given a divine speech over here. Yirmiyahu is a man of a mission. He's born into his job. So let's jump straight into the Nevoah. So we hear about two prophecies that he hears about. He sees a vision. He doesn't understand it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu explains what he is seeing. The first is, the first vision is what's called a Makel Shakade. So he sees, God says to him, what is that you see? He says, I see this flowering stick. Hashem says, you saw correctly. What, okay, what is the meaning of this? Ki shokade ani al devori la asosoi. I am watching over my word to, to do it. The play on words, of course, over here is makel shakeid, which means flowering, like the word shkedia. The, the, it, is, it is the almond, is, it, it is flowering. And Hashem says, I'm shokeid. I am waiting and paying attention to this. What is the meaning of this as well? So first of all, the almond, which is the shkedia, is the first of the bloomers. It's the first to, to bloom in the spring. So HaKadosh Baruch is expressing a notion of this readiness to move forward. To move forward with what? Unfortunately, what's being described over here is destruction. That means to say Hashem says, I'm about to tell you about terrible things that are happening and they're not happening in centuries. They're happening in years. It's going to happen very soon. Understand what I'm about to tell you is immediate. And there, and uh, in fact, uh, the Midrash Agada, as quoted in Rashi, says over here, that the time it takes 
from from the from the um, for the shakade for this this the, this shkedia, for this tree, this tree to bring forth its blossoms until the, the completion of the ripening of its fruit is twenty one days. That is significant because that is the, what the period of time is of the three weeks. What is the time between the the huvkahir, the bre- breaching of the wall of Jerusalem, and the destruction of the temple, at least in the second temple time, and those are the three weeks which we observe as a period of mourning. So shkedia is actually the symbol. Of that is this this it is imminent destruction which has been had. So worthwhile noting, there's a beautiful essay by Rav David Sabato who points out that this is very similar this description to the staff of Aaron, the staff of Aaron in Parshas Korach, which also um, gives forth blossoms. But over there, it's a description of the chosenness of the Kohanim. Over here, it's a description not of chosenness and kedusha, but a description of destruction. Um, an imminent destruction, which is about to, about to ensue. We now hear about the next of these um, of the visions, the second vision, which he hears, which he asks um, to see what, to describe what he sees, and he says, "Sir So he sees a pot which is boiling, and the opened area, the lip of the pot, is pointing northwards. So Hashem says that is correct. What you are seeing is mitzafon tepotach hara'a. From the north, the evil will open. That's where it's going to come from because I'm going to call all of the nations against you and bring them to Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to be doing, but you don't listen to me. And therefore, your siege will not be successful. You will not be able to withstand the outside forces unless you are with me. If you listen to me, then I will be. I will protect your city. What does this mean exactly? What is happening over here? So Malbim explains that the uh, the the vision of the pot over here, this boiling pot, is meant to be a expression of protection. The pot protects that which is w- within it from the outside elements. And this pot over here is only going to be successful if it has its lid on top of it. If it doesn't have a lid on top of it, no matter how thick the walls are, it is going to be it's going to suffer the consequences of exposure. Hashem says to them, no matter how thick the walls of Jerusalem are, no matter how many garrisons of soldiers you put on the ramparts, if you don't have Hashkacha, if you don't have Hashemuna, which brings to providence, then ultimately your pot will not protect the contents. That's the image over here. We also pay attention to the notion of the north. Why is the north? Why is it open to the north? So it seems that this is where, of course, Babylon is going to come. Uh, Bavel is in the northeast. But it's worthwhile also knowing that, that just uh, as, as a basic point is that Israel is part of the Fertile Crescent, which means to say this is where travel, this is where the trade routes, this is where the war routes were, were, um, went through. Nobody could really attack from the sea at this point, although that did happen later on. And no one is attacking from the east because it's the desert of Jordan. The attacks are always came from the north, and Babylon is Assyria came from the north. Babylon is going to come from the north. Persia is going to come from the north. Greek is going to come from the north because that's always the way in through the Fertile Crescent, which is being described over here. That's academically speaking. There is also kabbalistically the notion that the north is a, is a place where there are dark dark forces afoot, as the Gemara and Bavisra and tells us. The Malbim also points out over here that right now we hear about three ways in which Hashem speaks to him. First is his appointment as a Navi to build and to, to, to destroy. Um, we ne- next hear about the idea of Shaked al-Dvaroi, that Hashem is saying he's going to be doing his prophecies very fast. And the next one is where it's coming from. So Hashem, the, we, we hear in our Perik who he is, we hear about what is about to happen imminently and where it is going to come from. That is the contents of the first parak. We then hear the, fir- the first three psukim of the next parak as we close the Saftara. 
and and we hear how Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells the Yirmiyahu now to go and speak to the people of Yerushalayim and say to tell them Zacharti Chesed Avas Zerua. I remember the days of our, your youth. I remember the days of our. Um, of, of our early marriage, when you walked after me in the desert in a, t- in a time when it was very, very difficult. Hashem t- tells them, and he explains, Kadosh, Kadosh Yisrael Hashem, Israel is holy, sanctified to Hashem, gracious to us, are the first of his fruit. This is sort of this nostalgic prophecy. What is the meaning of this? So the, the Malbim, the Mitzvahs points out that, that in any relationship, when it's in a rocky time, if we can go back to its initial, we can go back to where it started, the dedication, the vulnerability, the subtlety of that relationship at the beginning, then there is hope for that relationship. And Akash Baruch Hu is saying, although right now you're not acting in a way which resembles the type of relationship that I want, Akash Baruch Hu says, I remember the times that you did. I remember that the sacrifices you made when we walked out of Egypt and you went through the uninhabitable desert for the sake of this relationship. And there's a certain sense of tenderness that Akash Baruch Hu brings up because of our sacrifices of old. The sacrifices are of patriarchs, our matriarchs made for this relationship as well. Finally, we conclude the words, that Israel is the first of the fruit of Hashem. What does that mean? So Rashi, in the first Rashi, the Torah says, why is it called Bereshis? Because it should have said Bereshis in the beginning. It says Bereshis in a beginning. Why is that that way? So Rashi says it's a contraction of the words, Bishvil Rashis, because of Rashis. What is Rashis? Rashi quotes the first thing is, Bishvil Yisrael Shenikru Rashis. Because of Israel called Rashis, quoting our Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, that I've chosen you, which is why I created the world. So understand that although we're in a difficult place, and although that you're not act, uh, acting and living up to the responsibilities of your side of the relationship in the end of the day, Rashis Tavuasa, you are the first of our fruit. This is the reason why I chose you and set you upon this mission. With this, we conclude the first of the Nevois of Puranusa, of the punishment leading to the destruction of the base of Midash. We need to put ourselves into the audience's perspective of those listening to Yirmiyahu. Would we have listened to this message? Would we have been willing to change? And that's the question the Saftara leaves us with. With this, we conclude the meantime. Have a wonderful and meaningful day and a beautiful Shabbat.